0: Indiana Republicans pushing back on the administration's vaccine mandates as Democrats search for answers after a stunning loss in Virginia. What does it mean for the midterms and for the president's agenda? We'll talk with Congressman Trey Hollingsworth, plus school boards and politics. More of our interview with former state superintendent Dr. Jennifer McCormick and Indiana Secretary of State Holly Sullivan. All that and more now on this week's edition of In Focus. Thanks so much for joining us. The president's agenda, Democratic control of Congress, all seem very much on the line here after that election this past week in Virginia. This is Indiana Republicans now push back on the Biden administration's vaccine mandates. That's where we begin today. Our Bianca Reyes has more.
1: I've been clear from the beginning, uh, unless you have a good reason, get a vaccine.
2: The way Senator Mike Braun sees it, There's a thin line government should never cross, especially when it comes to getting more Hoosiers vaccinated against COVID-19.
3: You can't
1: force people. It gets into uh, issues of personal liberty. Uh, Is it constitutional? And in this case, most Americans, most Hoosiers, don't believe it should be distilled down to get a vaccination or lose your job.
2: It's a bold move for the Biden administration, OSHA regulations will now require companies with 100 or more employees to be fully vaccinated by January 4th or submit to weekly testing.
1: The administration wants to encourage people to get vaccines, but the reality is this is going to do just the opposite. In fact, people are willing to quit their jobs. It, because of this mandate
2: as a physician himself, Congressman Bouchon says deciding to get vaccinated should be a conversation between an individual and their doctor. Meanwhile, Congressman Andre Carson calls this move a necessary and bold step to defeat this pandemic. In a tweet, he writes in part, employers have a responsibility to keep their employees and their customers safe.
0: Bianca Reyes reporting there. Meantime, Indiana's attorney general challenging the administration's vaccine mandates. A.G. Todd Rokita filing multiple legal challenges. Here's what he said in a briefing on Thursday.
4: This announcement by the Biden administration is particularly egregious. This edict is unlikely to win the hearts and minds of Hoosiers or any Americans who don't want to be vaccinated.
0: All right, House reporter Kristen Eskow joins me now. You were at that briefing with the Attorney General Thursday, and you also spoke this week with several members of Congress. This is an issue that Republicans have been very vocal about here in recent days.
5: Yeah, Dan, and it's been a pretty consequential week in politics, of yeah. course. As you said, Congress still going back and forth on the president's agenda, with Republicans hoping to gain momentum ahead of the midterms and now pushing back on these new requirements. We spoke about it all with Republican Congressman Trey Hollingsworth. Many in your party have been critical of government vaccine mandates. What's the better way, in your view, to encourage more people to get vaccinated against COVID?
6: Look, I think we need to make the case to the American people about how important it is for them to get vaccinated. But ultimately, we have to leave it up to the American people to make the best decision for themselves. I have been critical of the mandates that have come out of Washington, D.C. I have been critical of the mandates that are coming out of Indianapolis. I want to make sure that Americans feel as though their health care choices are their own and they can decide what is in their best interest. They do not believe that a federal government 800 miles away or a state government 100 miles away is better suited than they are to decide what's in their best interest.
5: Are you against private businesses issuing their own vaccine mandates for employees?
6: Of course, I'm not against private businesses making a decision to mandate for their employees, as long as those employees are free to quit over those particular mandates. The challenge is the federal government deciding for all businesses from coast to coast that they should mandate this. And furthermore, a single person, the president or the governor making that decision unilaterally. It's not going through a congressional process where the representatives of the people vote on that. It's being decided by the president through a bureaucrat in Washington what will and won't be mandated. That's not American process.
5: I want to turn to the governor's races in Virginia and New Jersey that happened this week. Do you believe those results make a spending bill from the Democrats now less likely politically?
6: Well, I think those results indicate the tremendous energy and enthusiasm that not only Republicans but also independents have in pushing an agenda back against taxation by the federal government and pushing an agenda back against control by the federal government or local governments over our education to the exclusion of parents. I think it's pushing back against an agenda that isn't working for working families. And I wanna make sure that we as Republicans are focused on solving problems that American families have, not just running around and pushing more government intrusion into American families' lives.
5: What do you think the results of these gubernatorial races mean for the midterm elections next year?
6: Well, one thing I think it means for sure is that education is going to become more and more important to voters. I think we've seen in this election, we've certainly seen across the Hoosier State as more parents have gotten involved in their education, that this is central to how families are thinking about their futures. They are horrified last year and not being able to send their kids to school and even more horrified in some cases at the curriculum that are being taught at schools. I want to make sure that we help parents understand what's going on at schools and how those parents can stay and get involved in their schools.
5: You had promised to serve no more than eight years in the house and that would take you to 2024. There was a report in Adam Wren's Importantville newsletter saying you're considering a gubernatorial run Are you planning to run for governor in 2024?
6: Well, look, there's much talk and much speculation, but I think one thing is for sure. Hoosiers hate when politicians put their own careers ahead of our own communities. And so what I'm doing every single day, all day long, is serving Hoosiers of Indiana's ninth and making sure that I'm working on their issues, that I'm focused on the things that really matter to them so that I can deliver better futures for each of them.
5: Are you considering a run at this time?
6: Well, what I'm considering every single day is legislation that stands before us in the U.S. House and whether that legislation is going to make a difference in their lives positively or negatively and making sure I'm representing their values in Washington, D.C. That's what I'm focused on every single day and serving Hoosiers is what I want to do.
5: I also want to ask you about the Democrats spending bill. Several proposals have been cut from the Democrats spending bill such as paid family leave and Medicare expansion for dental and vision coverage Is there a potential future, in your view, for bipartisan legislation for any of these proposals that
6: don't make the spending bill? Look, there's a lot of potential for bipartisan legislation right now. I think Nancy Pelosi understands that with the slimmest majority in decades, we need more bipartisanship in order to get things through Congress. The reality is, though, my Democrat colleagues need to understand that bipartisanship means compromise. They're going to have to be focused on solving the problems that American families are facing right now not just virtue signaling to their base about what they want to do should they have a mandate to do it.
0: Okay, Kristen, you certainly heard Congressman Hollingsworth there mentioning education a number of times. seems like that's going to be something that Republicans reference frequently heading into the midterms next year.
5: Well, yeah, it certainly seems that way. And it definitely became a big issue, of course, in the Virginia gubernatorial election. But Democrats say the situation is being overly politicized nationwide and for the wrong reasons. I recently spoke with another potential candidate for governor, former state superintendent and former Republican, Dr. Jennifer McCormick. We've seen some heated moments at school board meetings in Indiana and across the country lately. What do you think is the best way for school boards to balance safety and civility with transparency and public access?
7: Well, let's make no mistake. I mean, what's happening at our school board meetings, 95% of that is coordinated at a national level. It's not organic. It's not being created at the local level. It's being taken off across the country. And so some of what's happening are really just um, unfounded concerns. Um, Some of them are are not, but many of them are. Also, there's an appropriate way to handle concerns. There's always been a way for schools to take parent impact or input, to take parent concerns, to take community input, and do that in an appropriate professional civil manner. And so you can do that with transparency. When things get to the point where people's safety is at risk, or there's such disruption to the school system itself, um, it becomes a problem. And you have to do what you know as a local superintendent at one point i know you have to preserve the safety of your employees the safety of your board and also just this the try to get that disruption minimized because you owe it to the kids to get down to the real business at hand
5: do you have any suggestions for school boards on how to best minimize those
7: disruptions? Yeah, I think they're working hard to do that. Some of them have had to go online. Others have had to really limit public input. Um, Some have had to get law enforcement involved and some all the above. So I commend school districts that have taken those measures necessary. Some of our districts and some of our areas aren't having that issue. It just depends on where you are in the state of Indiana and what pockets of that coordinated, again, outside of Indiana group came in and how disruptive they're being.
5: It's been a big issue in the country, and there's also been a push to make school board elections partisan, something we may see come up in next year's legislative session. I asked Indiana's Secretary of State if she backs the idea. There's a push nationwide by some folks to try to make school board races partisan. Do you have any thoughts on that either way? Should those elections
8: uh, be along party lines? I know there, as I travel around the state, you're right, different counties are talking about that. Um, and just here in Elkhart today, learned that many constituents are meeting with their state representatives and their state delegation here um, in the coming weeks to ask them about uh, the conversation that might happen in January during the legislative session. But that's a legislative change and our office um, doesn't um, legislate. I, I am not a policy maker, but our office would enact any policy that comes out of the legislature next year. And so we'll see what happens
5: in next year's session. I also spoke with Secretary Sullivan about the preparations for next year's elections and all the recent talk about election security, and we'll have more from that on our
0: website. Okay, Kristen Escal. thanks so much. We appreciate it. Coming up next on this week's edition of In Focus, we'll talk with our panel about this past week's elections and what they mean for the 2022 midterms. We'll talk about the Indiana impact straight ahead. Plus, we'll hear from the White House vaccination coordinator on the vaccine rollout for 5- to 11-year-olds this past week. Stick around. We'll be right back.
3: Together, together, we will change the trajectory of this Commonwealth. And friends, we are going to start that transformation on day one.
0: Glenn Youngkin, now the Republican governor-elect in Virginia, and today we're talking about the potential impact of this race on the 2022 midterms and what it means big picture. Let's bring in our panel right now with us on Zoom, Democratic strategist Laura Beck and 2016 vice chair for the Indiana Trump campaign, Tony Samuel. And here in studio with us today, former state party chair for the Indiana Democrats, Robin Winston, former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy. Obviously, some warning signs here for, for Democrats, right, ahead of 2022. Robin, how concerned are you by the results in Virginia?
1: I'm very concerned. I mean, we've got to call an audible and change our playbook. How so? L- uh, listen to people talk about education, grassroots issues. But more importantly, we got to get our legislative work done in Washington so that we can tell people that we're able to get things done when we're in the majority. And that's important because when that legislation passes and people see the impact of it, I believe that it bode well for the 22
0: midterms. Senator Tim Kaine this week saying, I'm going to be blunt, congressional Democrats hurt Terry McAuliffe in his view. Uh, Laura, this certainly puts a lot of pressure on Democrats in Congress now to actually try and finally pass something so the president's agenda doesn't continue to stall ahead of the midterms. They may be moving forward on that in the House, but it'll obviously still come down to a, a couple of moderates in the Senate who've been holding things up so far.
8: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that anytime time uh, running against Washington is always really popular and um, it's it's incredibly popular, especially in a state like Virginia, where um, that D.C. is a part of their media market. Um, so you you have that you have that element there. Yeah, I, I agree with Robin. I do think that um, we need to this is I, I think actually a wake up call. Um, for many of our congressional uh, Democrats. But at the same time, I think also one of the key pieces about why Joe Biden was elected is getting us back to normal. And so getting us back to normal is beating this virus. It's making sure folks get vaccines. And it's also making sure um, that We're getting people in good-paying jobs, and those job numbers reports were uh, just recently were really good. So I think we have to also recognize that Virginia is Virginia. Um, It's not Indiana. And so uh, our party here is making some considerable strides, and especially in areas where we haven't seen Democrats in a
0: while. They've been out uh, campaigning uh, here in rural Mm -hmm. areas in Indiana uh, recently. Uh, Tony and Mike, let's talk about the impact here for the GOP. Republicans may have some different takeaways uh, from this election. Megan McCain said this week, quote, we can win in 2024 without Trump. Uh, Glenn Youngkin obviously didn't campaign with former President Trump, kind of kept his distance politically. Tony, is that is that a better path forward and a more successful strategy for Republicans in swing states?
4: Well, whether we're talking about Trump or not, the
0: Democrats, by the way, love to talk about Trump. And it, it,
4: it was not a winning strategy for them to do so because people remember all of the successes that President Trump had and how we were, and I've said this before, on an upward trajectory in this country. And in the 10 months or so that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have taken over, you've seen um, inflation soar, you've seen problems at the border, numbers of illegal uh, migrants coming over soaring. You've seen the, the latest uh, 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 in the shipping containers stuck off the California coast, uh, our supply chain problems. You've seen a disaster in the withdrawal Afghanistan all of those things added up uh, including the parent issues and you know talking about here in Indiana I'm I'm shocked and surprised by Jennifer McCormick's um, suggestion that the parents that are and have every right to be um, upset uh, to put it mildly at what's happening in schools that that was not organic It, it is absolutely organic these folks have every right to be upset by what's uh, the Marxist ideologies that are being taught in our schools. So a lot of things added up for the defeats uh, in Virginia and the close race that Phil Murphy had. uh, And also, uh, the defund the police movements lost in Seattle and Minnesota okay. across the country. So a really bad day for Democrats and Republicans should be able to take advantage of Mike, all of their mistakes in
0: 2020. Mike, what were your big takeaways? And do you have a different view from Tony in terms of what this means for the GOP moving forward in terms well, of how to, how to think about former President Trump? And as role? I've
3: been saying since last November, Republican uh, suburbanites did not reject Trump's ideas. They rejected Trump. It was a very personal rejection and Glenn Youngkin gave uh, McAuliffe a better stiff arm than Kyron Williams did a week or so ago against USC. I mean, he just went like this and said, stay away. Now, I will agree with Tony in one thing. This was really not all about Trump. There's been a classic battle going on between conservatives and progressives since since Rousseau and the social contract of the 18th century, and progressives believe they know how to spend your money better than you do, they know how to raise your children better than you do, and they know how to make your health care decisions for you better than you do. And that's the classic battle that
0: played out on Tuesday. Robin, let's talk about this issue with schools. What about this intersection of public education and the culture wars? There's definitely something there that could be motivating some voters, though as many public school officials have pointed out, and I know you work with many of them, uh, many of them say the complaints coming their way aren't, in their view, always grounded in reality in terms of what is or isn't actually being taught in schools.
1: Well, you cannot tell the, the parents they have no role in the schools. That I was mean, what that was what kind of said McAuliffe in the debate. made a and mistake and by saying stepped that. Stepped on it badly. I mean, and it that they way, exploited yeah. it and used it over and over again. I mean, you had people holding up signs that said "Parents for Yolkin. So I mean, <laughs> so they made sure that they drove that message home. We have to talk about what we're doing to support education that we're the ones that are putting more money into pre-kindergarten, that we're the ones that are putting more money in the teacher pay, that we're the ones that directed more money to these school districts around our state. We have to talk about what we've done and get away from some of the flashpoint issues because when it really boils down to it, the parents want their kids to have a good and a safe education. If you can tell them they're going to get that, they'll be happy.
0: Let's talk about COVID-19 as well. Tony, there are also these lawsuits this week, the state of Indiana filing suit against some of the administration's vaccine mandates, another issue that Republicans have been really very vocal about this past week.
4: Yeah, and it's good to see both Governor Holcomb and Attorney General Todd Rokita on the same page and and, and fighting against the Biden administration filing lawsuits to, to stop the the vaccine mandates um, by employers and and uh, and in other areas, um, mandating uh, employers to 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 have their employees vaccinated or show proof of of uh, and being clear of COVID weekly, and that's a big cost, and it, it's going to be the burden's going to be put on our uh, the employees, I believe. And it's just taking away our personal rights. It's one more form. And, and I'll go back to this again. This is a Marxist ideology. It's not just in schools. It's, uh, it's not just by all of the things that, that President Biden is doing, um, but it's, it's, you know, each one of those. But it, okay. collectively, this is what's behind all this. And so okay. we have to ask ourselves because, the, the, you know, you can't be so tyrannical over uh, these uh, vaccines when, you know, I went to the Colts game. We're uh, running out of time here, Tony. Yeah, it's 60, some thousand people sitting, sitting right. shoulder to shoulder. Right. La- but but so just it's inconsistent. Okay. It doesn't make sense. Okay. It's taking away our rights. Okay.
0: Well, Laura, real quick, your response to that.
8: Well, I mean, I just think this is the latest Republican wedge issue um, over vaccines. I mean, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. We dodged a bullet with the Delta variant, frankly. And the only way through this is, is by getting more people vaccinated. And frankly, the more people who are going back to work, who are in offices, they are leading to an economic revival in downtowns and other communities where um, people aren't going there because they're not going to work. Um, we're not seeing a, a huge number of people dropping out of the workforce okay. because of this. Um, I, I think we, this is, again, it's a wedge issue that is driving us apart right. rather than together. We, when we should really be working together to defeat this okay. virus. Okay.
0: All right. Thank you all. They'll be back here in just a few minutes. Coming up next, we're going to hear from the White House vaccination coordinator, but the rollout for five to 11-year-olds this past week. Stick around. We'll be right back. For parents all over this country, this is a day of relief and celebration. After almost 18 months of anxious worrying every time the children, your child had a sniffle or started to cough, well, you can now protect them from this horrible virus because that would always worry that was coming along. President Biden speaking to the nation this week about the vaccine for five to 11 year olds. This week, we also heard from the White House vaccination coordinator about the rollout for children in that age group. Those shots started going out on Wednesday, though officials acknowledge it'll be early this coming week before the program is up and running at full strength.
4: Having the opportunity to vaccinate those kids and protect them is really a step in the right direction for us to be able to put this pandemic behind us.
0: All right, we have more coverage on our website. Stick around. We're back to wrap things up with this week's winners and losers. Next. Time for this week's winners and losers. Tony, I'll start with you.
4: My winners of the week are two people. Winsome Sears is the Republican African-American Lieutenant Governor uh, winner in Virginia, of uh, Jamaican descent, a uh, Marine veteran, and my daughter Lily, who uh,
0: turned 15 this week. Congrats, Lily. Happy birthday, Laura.
8: Um, My winner uh, or winners are the uh, kids and families who are able to get their vaccinations and return to some degree of normality. Um, My loser, unfortunately, is um, racial progress. Uh, White grievance and a congenial smile uh, packaged in a nice suit won on um, Tuesday in Virginia, and we all are the worse off for it.
3: Mike. Well, I have two winners, both governors. Governor Youngkin, obviously, for the big win in Virginia, and then Governor Holcomb, who has mastered the, uh, the management of this COVID virus. And he understands the fine line between public health mandates and American liberty.
1: Robin. Cities of New York, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Dearborn, that elected people of color as their mayors, showing that we still are making progress. And the other winner are the veterans who served our nation. Thank you very, very much for your service.
0: All right, thank you all. Thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next weekend.